Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 68. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And I'm hoping that you can make it through this episode without getting hit with a lightsaber again. And just, if anybody is curious as to whether or not it is painful when you are struck with a lightsaber from Sabi's, the answer is yes. Even if it's in its protective case, the answer is yes. I think this speaks very highly for Sabi's and the work that they do. Yes, it's a quality product. While we're on the discussion of things that happened last week, I think we do need to touch upon, before we get into our review here of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, I want to touch upon something else that happened last week that did not encompass my concussion. I did go into protocol for anybody that's wondering. We did discuss last week, obviously there's a slew of new characters in this third trilogy here, and... I had asked you if you were surprised when we found out that Kylo Ren was the child of Leia and Han Solo because there was speculation about where is his lineage from. And it was a very loyal listener of ours, Josh Rains, that reached out to us on social media and discussed his guess on the lineage of Kylo Ren, I think even before the movie came out. I think so. Yeah. Well, that, that's what he wrote in. Um, he commented on our Facebook post. I wanted to touch on Kylo not being known whose lineage he came from before the movie came out. And then he writes Skywalker with KY capitalized and Solo with LO capitalized. And that was how he put it together, which is so brilliant. As soon as he wrote that, I was just like, oh, duh, because the way that they introduce it in the film it's supposed to mislead you. That's the point is because he says grandfather to the Darth Vader mask and you're not sure if it's Luke or Leia's. And right. then obviously by default, when you find out Solo's the father, you're like, okay, it's Leia's. And what's amazing about that is let's live in the world where that theory is true and that's where they pulled his name from. Not only is it, is, is it a great Easter egg, but I mean, Kylo Ren sounds like a Star Wars character. Sure. So they found a way to really make it authentic. To me, it kind of sounded like it reminds me of like a Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah. You know, just I thought that's kind of where they were deriving the name from more than anything else. But yeah. as soon as Josh commented, I was like, this was so obvious. How did I not see it? Yeah, but good call on that one, Josh. Uh, we're interested to hear from all of you. Um, if you have theories about where these characters come from, maybe predictions for the end of this trilogy. I think Jackie and I might give a couple of predictions at the end of this episode. You're going to have to hang tight and wait for those. You can, of course, do that on our social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. And we want to hear from you in regards to Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. We're also going to do a Monoreal in a minute. We are seeing Star yes. Wars on Thursday. Um, we always do those spoiler-free, so we're not going to ruin it for you, but we'll just give our... Yay or nay in 60 seconds. Yes, without, as you said, without giving anything away. Um, unlike this podcast where we're going to give everything away, but if you're listening to us for the first time, welcome. We do spoil the movies here. And uh, if you are a returning listener, then this should come as no surprise to you. Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. This one is um, 
without giving our opinion, of course, or our review, this was a movie, it's sort of controversial because you have Star Wars fans that either love it or hate it. And what's amazing about this is, I don't know if you remember this, this movie, I think it still holds a score of 91 on Rotten Tomatoes, but for a time was getting absolutely killed with user reviews. I think the user reviews at one point were like way under 50%. This movie was targeted by people who were doing campaigns to squash the movie. And they had bots that were like setting up phony accounts on Rotten Tomatoes with the exclusive purpose of giving this film bad reviews. Were they porg activists? I, I don't know. Were we fighting for porg rights? Is that what this is? I know a lot of people were sort of up in the air about Ryan Johnson as a director because he had done Looper. But other than that, he hadn't really done a lot leading into this movie. No, and J.J. Abrams kind of knocked it out of the park. Right. And even some people will debate you on that. I mean, I think he did as well. But yeah, this was like a smear campaign against Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Was the campaign valid? Is there any truth to any of that? We'll we're, discuss. Yeah, we're going to dissect it right now. The First Order reigns supreme and only a few remain from the Resistance. General Hux is prepared to destroy what is remaining of the Resistance and their fighter fleet. Poe Dameron arrives in his X-Wing and begins to destroy cannons on the outside of the First Order Dreadnought. Meanwhile, the First Order destroys the Resistance's base. Against better judgment, General Leia... Um, she she doesn't really want to send fighters out. She doesn't want to send X-Wings out, but against her better judgment, she lets them go anyway. And the fighters attempt to destroy the Dreadnought. They do, but not without losing most of their fleet. Meanwhile, back on the Resistance's ship, Finn has finally awoken and wants to know where Rey is. And it turns out that Rey is on Octo, where Luke Skywalker is less than enthused with her visit. That sounds like I'm like really jumping into a lot of scenes there, but you're not. It's not. It's your whole setup. That's actually one of the biggest things that I noticed about this film, and probably one of the things that I, I like the most about it. Aside from the fact that at this point, we have done away with transitional wipes. Hallelujah. That's my review. Bye-bye. I'm glad that's your takeaway. No, my my big takeaway really is that um, this a lot of these scenes almost play out in real time, almost like a panic room kind of thing, where yeah. you spend like the entire film unfolding like that one scene, um, as opposed to I feel like you know the rest of the franchise where it's it's like an epic journey, and you know you're going. The, the passage of time is more days and even weeks at some points. And in this film, they they do kind of expand time, like with Ray's training a little bit. But for all intents and purposes, like a lot of these scenes just kind of play out as they happen. Yeah. I mean, the movie does have a very long running time of two and a half hours. I mean, this is a long movie. For any film, regardless of whether or not it's Star Wars or another franchise. It's just a really long movie. 
And a lot because these scenes play out this way, that it kind of does feel like a two and a half hour movie. Without dragging, though. Um, like the scenes don't drag. That's up and for debate. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into this towards the end because towards the end of the movie, there are at least three different outpoints where yes. I think the credits could have rolled and we could have gone. You know, they could have left us on a cliffhanger, and I would have been more than okay with that. But as far as you know, if you haven't seen this one yet, I don't want to deter people from thinking that, you know, it feels like it's dragging on for an ev- forever and ever. It it doesn't. It's just a longer movie, but the scenes are so action-packed, you can kind of just let them breathe. Yeah, and I can tell you without having seen The Rise of Skywalker yet that if you're going to see The Rise of Skywalker, you have to see this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's because this is very much a bridge film. There's a lot happening in it. More so than your average bridge movie, um, but but still, it is a bridge here. I want to talk about General Hux for a minute. He sounds like a James Bond villain. Totally. But not in, like, Remy Malek in the Bond trailer that dropped oh, two I weeks can't ago. Wait. I can't right? wait. Or when we had um, Christoph Waltz as a Bond villain, like these more modern contemporary Bond villains, they have a feel to them where they are a little bit of a throwback, but that's really just to keep consistent, I think, with the tone of the films. Huck sounds like something out of Goldfinger. He also kind of reminds me of, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name now, but um, the villain in The Patriot. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember his name either. I'm not. I can't remember his name in the film, and I can't remember the actor's name. I'm just at a loss right now. But he just, like, I don't know. He just embodies him for me. Right. The entire scene where Poe and Hux are trying to communicate with each other, and Poe is like, "I'll hold." Can Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Are Are you there? Um, it's not really Star Wars. It's not, it definitely, it feels like Guardians. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of what Ryan Johnson was trying to do here. I do, I have to say, I like it though for his character because, you know, we're starting the movie with a bang. He's playing the hero again where he's got to fly in so close to the ship so that their guns can't fire on him. I think that's a brilliant setup. Um, but one of the, one of the things that I was thinking is that, you know, part of the reason you were saying before it's against Leia's better judgment. She doesn't want him to do this and he keeps pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope. And I'm really hoping that that cockiness doesn't catch up with him. And I feel like we could kind of go either way in episode nine, but I, I don't know. I don't think we're we're done with Poe's story yet. But no, and I also think that if it, if it took forty years for Han Solo to get bumped off, I don't think you're going to do it in say six years with Poe Dameron. True, but the feel of that entire scene, I, I get it, and you were trying to be funny, and I think we had sort of mentioned this on the last episode when we discussed the Force Awakens. It's okay to throw some comedy in, but Star Wars is not a comedy. Star Wars is not Guardians of the Galaxy. It's also not some of what 
like like Spider-Man is another great example of these more modern Marvel movies where there's a lot more humor in them. I mean, go back and watch the original Iron Man. Again, different because Disney was not making the film at the time. But go watch the original Iron Man and compare it to some of the later films. Totally different in terms of its feel. And I, I think because Star Wars has such a rich history, for you to try to flip the script, and really, in this movie specifically, it's to an extreme. I just don't think that it works. I don't know. I found it funny, but I do agree with you. It doesn't fit the Star Wars universe. It just fits the character. I believe that, I mean, obviously Poe is that sarcastic, but you're right. It is a little jarring against the villain. Yeah, I think so. And I think more so because Hux at times, as I said, feels like a 60s Bond villain. So he's kind of corny and cheesy within himself. I just feel like the tone is just so different from anything we've ever seen. And I, I do, I said it before and I'll say it again. I think it was very hard to do that. And, and I'm not, this was not within the first five minutes of the movie. This was within like the first 90 seconds. Yeah, I think you did kind of need it though because... The scene ends on a really heavy note when you get to Leia and she's looking at her losses and, like, you really feel her heart come through there. Yeah. I think it's actually one of Carrie Fisher's finest acting moments in this franchise. Yeah, she was she was very, very good in this movie without spoiling too much. Um, when you are on Octo and you see Rey with Luke Skywalker, it, it hurt then. And it hurts now when Luke gets that look of confusion and concern on his face and he says, where's Han? Right, because she has shown up with the Falcon. And Chewie. And Chewie. Yeah, Chewie basically blew the doors off and that was rough. But it was a very strong scene. Because I think you kind of knew that he knew what happened, that Chewie showed up without Han. Yeah, it's a strong start that gets bastardized when we come back to Octo. Yeah, because... Without jumping too far ahead, but I, I figure... I feel like you... we're on the same page yeah. here. All right, let can we put a pin in that? Yeah, there there's more that we'll see on Octo. Okay. That we can touch on. Yeah, let's jump back into the plot here. Um, and And we see Supreme Leader Snoke. He continues to question Kylo Ren, saying that he has too much of Han Solo in him, which Ren strongly argues against. After being referred to as a child in a mask, Kylo Ren exits the room, gets on an elevator. He destroys the mask, and he sets off to pursue Luke Skywalker. I think that this is a very powerful scene for Kylo Ren because I had mentioned in the last episode that I felt it was a necessity when he killed Han Solo and I still do believe that but when he destroys that mask because he's basically been told I thought you'd be the next Vader and I was wrong I think this is a powerful moment because this is the first time that you see Kylo Ren become Kylo Ren and not just a knockoff of Darth Vader. 
Interesting. I somewhat disagree. I I okay. totally agree on on killing his father because he had to prove that he's the most evil villain that we've ever seen. Okay, done. I interpret this scene totally differently because he's saying you're a child, you're a child. And it's almost like Kylo Ren plays right into his hand because I feel like when he destroys the mask, it's like he's having a temper tantrum. Uh, I can see that. I can see that. But I, I read that less of petulant child and more somebody who is just purely frustrated because up to this point in time, no matter what Kylo Ren does, he's clouded with nothing but doubt. Right, and he's already gone way too far in his mind to flip back to the light. I mean, he killed his father. Yeah. He killed his father to prove that he's for real. And now he's going after his mother. Right, and even still, Snoke doesn't believe him. So... You know what it is? I think it's how um I think it's how Adam Driver played the scene. No, I agree with you because it's not a petulant child and he definitely does show his acting chops here. But I'm just saying he almost plays into Snoke's hand. Yeah, he kind of does. Uh, and and obviously a lot of what Snoke does to manipulate him is with the sole purpose of pushing him to the level he needs him to get to. Sure. Well, anyway, back on Octo. Oh, we're going to rip that pin out. Luke continues to deny Ray's request to return home to help the resistance. Ray begins to hear voices which lead her to the sacred Jedi texts, but Luke says he came to the island to die and he refuses to train her. Um, you know, there's a lot that happens on Octo that I can do without. And I feel like the biggest thing that we can do without is... The, the milking? The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's, it's not just the milking. And that was just weird. I don't know why, like... It just makes me uncomfortable, and I'm not usually, I'm certainly not easily offended, and I don't get squeamish with stuff like this, but that beast that they created is, like, so swollen. I'm just like, stop. Just stop. And I didn't need to see you drink it, either. Yeah, and he, and he <laughs> the look on his face, like, he, like, raises an eyebrow and, like, kicks his head to the side. It was like watching a Gatorade commercial. <laughs> but bigger picture, though... I didn't need to see any of this. Like, you are Luke freaking Skywalker. You're you're a survivalist. As far as I'm concerned, you've just been out there roughing it. I didn't need to see the specifics of your day-to-day. Yeah. And there's a scene where he grabs a spear and he pole vaults and he lands on a rock that he can barely balance on. And what this thing has got to be 75 feet long. And somehow he uses it as a spear and he goes fishing and he carries this fish that is as big as he is. Like, I don't know how he could have possibly balanced on that rock, fished with that spear, brought that thing all the way up to the surface, up to where he is, climb back over. It's just like there's too much going on here. And again, there's too much happening with the comedy. When 
Ray says, I'm from nowhere. And he goes, well, nobody's from nowhere. And she's like, oh, I'm from Jakku. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's basically nowhere. And she says to him, you have plenty of time on your hands in regards to the trip. Right. Like, she goes, I've seen what you do every day. I've seen you your have daily time. ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much with the ha-ha. It doesn't work. Tonally, it's wrong. This is supposed to be a very powerful scene. And I'm going to jump the gun a little bit here. And I know I'm going to jump the gun on this. But how many times does he need to be told, you need to come back and help the resistance? Leia sent me. Yes. And when he had that where's Han moment, that should have been the opportunity for her to explain to him what happened? Your former apprentice has taken control. He killed him. They've destroyed the resistance. There's so few of us left where he reluctantly becomes the hero. But he denies and denies and denies and denies. So the whole setup with where's Han and the concern for what's happening is bastardized the minute that no matter what she tells him, he refuses to go back. This is the one area of the film that does feel like it drags because it's like he knows what he has to do. He knows he has to come back. He knows he has to help Leia. And it's not just his former apprentice. It's his nephew. Right. So he knows he's eventually going to do it. So it's just like <coughs> given. I mean, I know there's going to be a little bit of re reluctance. I know you need a little bit of resistance, pun intended. Right. But... We didn't need to see that drag out or play out in full. And as far as, you know, the daily routine to touch back on that, I think part of it was that they're trying to be like, all right, he's still got it, you know, especially with that ridiculous balancing on the pole vault and whatever. I think naturally you question it. How has he been living here on this island in the middle of nowhere for all these years? But that's one of those things where, like, it is a film and you can suspend your disbeliefs I didn't need to see all of that. I didn't need to see it answer. You could have done that in a throwaway line. What you just spent 15 minutes showing and you could have cut the milking. Or you just don't. It's Luke Skywalker. I would have he, he led the rebellion. To, yeah, you, you were surviving on the force. Done. You, 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 you defeated the Empire. You're a Jedi Master. I don't need to know that you fish. And that you drink blue milk. It, it's like, I've never questioned like what Yoda eats. He's just Yoda. Yeah. It, it, he'll figure it out. Yeah, done. Move on. Meanwhile, on the Resistance ship, um, it has finished its jump to hyperspace. This is following the battle that we saw earlier. And Leia has demoted Poe Dameron from commander, I think back down to pilot, um, because they the lost captain? the captain, right? He doesn't take it well, regardless. He does, yeah, of course. Um, well, she demotes him. We also see that Leia gave Ray a tracking system, a little tracking device, so that they could find her. The first order arrives, having tracked them through light speed and without enough fuel to escape, the fleet attempts to fight back. TIE fighters destroy the bridge of the ship, killing most of the Resistance leaders. Leia gets sucked into space, but awakens and uses the Force to fly back to the ship. Um, 
okay. Uh, you know what? Let me let me keep going because again, the, this movie jumps back and forth an awful lot. I think to go scene to scene would almost slow this down and drag it out almost as bad as the movie does in general. No, you know what? I'm I'm gonna stop you right here. Okay. Because and and this might make people mad at me. Obviously, no one could have predicted what was going to happen with Carrie Fisher. And, you know, she had a tragic life. And, you know, I'm not trying to be insensitive to that because, you know, it, it was very sad when when she passed. Um, but I feel like this would have been the best opportunity to write her out and then you know it it wouldn't have been it was it would have still been sad regardless but not as sad when you're watching these films right but i also think it would have served the film better because this was just ridiculous okay thank you because i wrote the same thing down her flying first off i understand she's got skywalker blood in her but you got sucked into space there is no oxygen your skin has literally frozen over it was one thing when it was Guardians of the Galaxy and Star-Lord was floating around in space and he had that same, like, frosted look on his face. Mm -hmm. But he lasted longer because he was only half human. Exactly. But her putting her finger out and you, you kind of started to fly almost like Superman. No, and the way they set it up, like, you really think this is the last time you're going to see her on screen because she frosts over and, like, she looks so beautiful and the music is building. Like, you really think this is her out. Yeah. And you know what? That's one of those things where she died tragically. It was very sad, but I felt like you had the natural out. Exactly. And then even with Poe's storyline as well, she's setting him up to say, you know, you can't be so so trigger happy all the time and everything. And now he's going to have to learn his lesson the hard way if he takes her place. Right. Or he has to do it without her. Now. Exactly. Because, again, without trying to jump too far ahead, very little of what happens in the rest of this movie was something that hinged on her being there i know that you you could have gone into reshoots i know that's expensive i know they have a deadline that they needed to stick to to get the movie released but i do think they had time to get it done right so uh, but but we'll just leave that there but yeah i thought for certain this is the end for sure and i think a lot of people did and that's what makes this scene really ridiculous because her eyes open up and she starts flying. And I remember thinking, what the hell is going on? This would have been this would have been ridiculous had she lived if she was still alive now. Yeah. Like if they saved it for the third movie, it still would have been absolutely ridiculous. And then this would have also served to call Luke back sooner. Exactly. Well, meanwhile, Luke boards the Falcon and R2-D2 awakens and shows Leia's footage from Star Wars A New Hope, which finally convinces him to train Rey. It didn't matter that Rey told him so many times 
I said it before. It didn't matter that he was concerned about where Han was. This is where the movie does start to lose me. Because I felt as if... And there were some people in the theater that had the... Aww. Moment. You don't need that with Star Wars fans, by and large. The Force Awakens had enough throwbacks where it served as a love letter to old fans while getting new fans up to speed and introducing new characters and new stories with that nice warm blanket, that security blanket of the imagery and the characters from the first film. I didn't need to see it again. So, wow, you really didn't even care about the nostalgia factor here. No, I don't. I think it was unnecessary. I felt that Ryan Johnson stuck it in because to him that was, well, this is my Star Wars movie, so I need to have the Easter egg. I need to have the love story and the love letter to the fans. But what's so jarring about it is if if she, if Ray had not told Luke that Leia had sent him and he had seen this footage, I'd feel differently about it. Right, but we, yeah, we already know she sent Ray True. I also, I don't like the setup here because I feel like when he grabbed Han's dice that he knew exactly what he was going to do. I don't think it was just like he wanted something as his friend because you have the whole Falcon. And that's the thing. Then this this scene does kind of play out like your Ghost of Christmas Pass. I think he already knew he was eventually going to have to train her. Um, So I kind of feel like it would have been either or. Either take the dice and then go tell her, right, you know, we start at first light, whatever. Or R2 plays the message and then, all right, you want to keep the dice as a little... Memento. Yeah, a memento, exactly. And then you exit the Falcon, fine. But I don't think that we needed both, and certainly not in that order. Right. Back on the Resistance ship, Vice Admiral Haldo takes control while Leia recovers from her injuries. Because she was able to awaken in space, live without oxygen, live as a frozen person, fly back to the ship, and then lose consciousness. So the Force is only so powerful in Princess Leia, or General Leia. So she has to recover, and this is where you get the Laura Dern character, who immediately butts heads with Poe Dameron in what is almost line-for-line a ripoff of Top Gun. Yes. Because I'm waiting for her. And it's not just how it's written. It's how she deliver it, delivers the line. And she's like, I know flyboys like you. Reckless. And I remember saying to myself in the theater before she said the line, dangerous. And then she said it. And I was waiting for him to go, that's right, Ice Man. <laughs> I am dangerous. With that ridiculous bite that Val Kilmer does. It's such a ripoff, and I'm sorry, you can't tell me it's not a direct pull from Top Gun. No, and this is why the the whole 
thing with writing Leia out is is so maddening because it opens the door for this whole character and there is absolutely no point to her. You know, it, it's like I said before, it would have been so much more effective if everything had to fall into Poe's lap and he's almost fighting the same battle that Rey is where, you know, the the Jedi training and, and the future of the Jedi's fall on her. Now the future of the resistance falls to him. Right. And they have to kind of work together to figure this all out, even though they're two in two totally different places. But yeah, she's, you know, Laura Dern's character has this chip on her shoulder. Like she's been put down because she's a woman this entire time. And she takes that out on Poe for seemingly no reason because we don't know what her backstory is. And then when she delivers that line, it's almost flirtatious with him. Like, yeah, I've dated a couple of bad boys. So where are we? I don't know enough about you yet to know what page you're on and where we're going. I know she's she like fought in a big battle and she's like a, a war hero or something, but it's not like we've seen this. Like, I wish they would have... I wish they would have pulled her from something that was alluded to in one of the other movies. I feel like that would have been so much more effective. Yeah. We don't know who she is. And you're right. It's flirtatious, kind of like Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise in Top Gun when she's the instructor and he is the student. At least there wasn't like a 30-year age difference there. That's where this also gets kind of weird. Agreed. Maybe we're also pulling from The Graduate. Go on. Yeah, well, meanwhile, Finn is attempting to desert um, the uh, the ship on an escape pod. And he meets Rose Tico, who stuns him and plans to turn him in as being a deserter. While discussing their current situation, I have no, we don't have enough fuel, they're going to shoot us down, they're going to catch us, blah, blah, yada, yada. They realize that the lead ship in the First Order fleet is the only one that is tracking them. They tell all this to Poe, and they decide that they're going to sneak onto the First Order ship and disable the tractor uh, or tracker. But they don't want to tell Haldo because A, Haldo will never let them do it, and B, Poe Dameron hates her. Basically, he does not trust her, he wants nothing to do with her, so they're going to leave her out of this plan. They put it on a need-to-know basis. They give Maz a call, Maz from the first film. Love it. At her advice, they head to the casino on Kanto Bite to find the Master Codebreaker, who can sneak them onto the ship and through the security clearance, because the codes are forever changing meanwhile ray and kylo ren um each have a vision where they can see each other and ren realizes that ray is with luke who begins to train ray in the ways of the jedi and the ways of the force while learning about the force she is immediately drawn to the dark side and ray claims that In her vision, she didn't see Luke, confirming that he has completely detached himself from the Force. On Canto Bite, Finn and Rose head off to the casino, and we learn of Rose's saltiness towards the planet. Basically, 
she and her sister, her sister was killed in that opening battle. They were from this planet, and it's a beautiful planet, but this is a planet where people are wealthy because they sell weapons to the First Order. In some cases, the same people are selling weapons to the First Order and the Resistance, and they're double-dipping. So totally corrupt. They steal children from their parents. It is a totally dirty and disgusting place, for all intents and purposes. They believe that they've found the Master Codebreaker in the casino, but are arrested before they can pursue him for illegally parking their ship on a private beach. Yeah, that happened in a Star Wars movie. They are arrested for illegally parking their ship on a private beach. I feel like this whole scene kind of plays into what you were saying before where Ryan Johnson is trying to put his stamp on this, but this almost makes him feel like an amateur director where you've grown up on movies and you're trying to pay homage to so many of them that we start to lose sight of the plot. Mm -hmm. What I do like that they did is that we've seen extreme poverty in Star Wars before. We've seen it with the way that Anakin grew up. We've seen it with Rey. So I think it was a good idea to show what the other end of it is and show the extreme wealth. However, I feel like this was the director trying to make his own Casino Royale. And I mean, okay, fine. The casino, there's an obvious connection in my mind, but even just the way that it was shot, like, you know, it kind of looks like the Amalfi Coast in Italy and it 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 definitely pulls me. And to me, Casino Royale is one of the most beautifully shot films of all time. It's absolutely stunning. It's gorgeous. I love that movie. And one of the best James Bond films of all time. Right. But it's like, leave it be. Don't Don't try to pull from that. Don't try to copy it. Especially in a universe where it doesn't belong. Right. And I feel like this scene could have taken place on any planet. It could have taken place anywhere. It could have happened. Like you could have gone to get the code breaker anywhere and played to this idea of, you know, people are criminals and they're selling they're selling weapons to the dark side. But what I do like and it does kind of bring everything full circle is that they are also selling selling to the resistance so i think that does kind of play to the entire idea of star wars and what they've been doing this entire time it's like that you know that old adage with the two wolves and which one do you feed the good or the evil and that's what the whole idea of the force is yeah and i do like that they expose that and it's basically you know it's dj the code breaker that says, hey, it's coming from both sides, pal. They don't care who they sell weapons to. They just want money. But I've never liked this casino scene. I've never thought that it was necessary. I don't understand why this code breaker is hanging out in this casino. This seems like a character that you would find at the cantina with the other scoundrels and the other criminals. I don't know why he's there. And at times, the CGI... In this scene, it is so bad 
that it reminds me a lot of some of the horrific CGI we saw in episode one. And I feel like the tone of this entire scene feels like something out of episode one. Yeah, the tonally, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the film. Like, story-wise, it does. But like I said, it could have been anywhere. I do like the introduction of the Codebreaker character, though. I think he's really cool. I think Benicio Del Toro is great. Even though I feel like there are a lot of parallels to Jack Sparrow, you know, where he's kind of like this, I'm doing my own thing and you don't know on which day I'm helping, you know, the good guys or the bad guys, but I report to number one and, and that's it. But even though I do feel like it's kind of a ripoff, I still think he's good. And I, I like whatever stutter he gave him for whatever reason. I think that was an interesting choice, but it works. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, back on Octoba, or sorry, on Octo, I'm thinking Dagobah, Cantobite, and I've now created Octoba. Um, back there, <clears throat> Luke tells Ray that he believed he could train Ben. This being Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, for those of you who are not taking notes or paying attention. But Ben turned on him when the dark side overtook him. Having uh, taken a few of his Jedi students with him and slaughtering the rest because Luke had set up a temple and he was training some new Jedi. Which is why he decided to no longer train the Jedi. This was a terrible thing that Luke went through. While in jail, Finn and Rose meet the Codebreaker DJ, as you said, played by Del Toro, um, who helps them escape their cell. Uh, they release riding animals. And no, I'm not giving you a summary of what these animals are. They are called riding animals. They're not horses. They're not camels. They're not anything, a donkey, things that you have seen being ridden in other films. Obviously, you're not going to see those things on a Star Wars planet, but... They don't even have a proper name. They're called riding animals. Well, Finn and Rose release them as a means to escape the facility while also setting up a distraction at the casino, which they run through and destroy. They are eventually saved by DJ and BB-8, and they leave on a ship that DJ and BB-8 have stolen. BB-8, who I love, is in the casino. And this little creature is drunk, I suppose. Clearly a degenerate gambler, and that's why he's in the casino. Right. And thinks he's a slot machine of some sort and starts feeding coins into him. Of course, there's no payout. During the escape, BB-8 opens up a little compartment on his body and fires the coins off like they are a machine gun. And then he blows on his gun. Like you've seen parodied in so many Western films. And this is where, to me, Ryan Johnson, I, I can appreciate that you were a Star Wars fan when you were six or seven years old. And I'm sure that you always dreamed of making a Star Wars film. But that does not mean the imagery you wish you had seen as a seven-year-old is what needed to play out in this movie. Right. 
Especially because the whole landscape of film has changed since then. Why is the droid blowing his gun out? It's not cute. It's not funny. It's completely cheesy. No, and up until that point, it is funny that, you know, he's feeding him like a slot machine and BB-8 is later able to use that. I think that all works. But you ruin it. You undo everything that was clever about it by blowing on the gun. While all of that is going on, the Force connects Ray and Ren again, and he tells her that he didn't hate Han Solo, and that her greatest weakness is her obsession with her parents. He also tells her his story in regards to what happened between him and Luke. And basically, his story is that he awoke to see Luke Skywalker standing over him with a lightsaber, and he basically acted in self-defense. And it was not him that initiated any sort of attack. Ray then goes back to the dark side and asks to see her parents, but finds nothing. She tells Kylo Ren that it isn't too late for him, and that he can change, and that he can flip. But while that is happening, Luke walks in and sees that they're having a vision, and he destroys the building that she was in, one of these little huts on his island. And he tells her that he wants her to leave. They fight each other, and Luke admits to contemplating the killing of Kylo Ren. But he changed his mind. All that Kylo Ren saw was what was about to happen to him. So whereas Luke had taken the lightsaber out and had second thoughts, all Kylo saw was the lightsaber, and then he acted in self-defense. Ray tells Luke that Ben Solo will turn, that he will come back, and there will be no more Kylo Ren. But Luke begs her not to go with him. Luke then decides to burn down the tree that has been hollowed out where he keeps the sacred Jedi texts. But Yoda shows up and strikes it down with a bolt of lightning. He tells Luke that the texts hold nothing that Rey does not already possess in her mind and that failure is the greatest teacher. First off, let's just talk about how uncomfortable the scene is between Ray and Kylo Ren when they reconnect at the very beginning and he has no shirt on. It's not uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable for her. Yeah, she's like put a cowl on or something. And I don't know what she expected to see when he turned around because when the vision started, his back was to her and he didn't have a shirt on. It's not until he turned to her that like she had this realization that he's not wearing a shirt. And she was very uncomfortable by it. I will admit that was actually quite funny. Had this been a little bit of comedy peppered into the script, I would have found this to be slightly more entertaining than it actually was. I love this whole scene, and I think it's one of the most powerful scenes in the whole film, for more reasons than just Adam Driver without a shirt on jacked by the way yeah like i knew i know he's a former marine he's a beast 
I did not. Now, admittedly, I don't look at a lot of uh, shirtless pictures of him. <laughs> but because of the way they designed his costume, he looks like he's a very lean guy. Black is slimming. Kind of, yeah, but like. No, you're like, not. You're not expecting that. No. It's uh, like, shoulders, where were you hiding all them muscles? The shoulders on this guy. I mean, he's a very broad-shouldered person, and it doesn't show at all in that costume. That was my big takeaway, <laughs> to be honest with you, when I saw that for the first time. Well, like I said, I do love this scene for more reasons than just that, but it's so powerful, and I love that they have built on this idea that you know they can kind of see what the other is seeing, and now they've learned to communicate, but... What's so striking about it, I think, is that it it becomes so intimate. Like, they're asking each other about all of their deep, dark secrets. Like, he's asking about her parents, and she's asking about his history with Luke. And they're answering each other. It's it's a whole conversation. It's not, no, I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm not going to let you in. They know that as far as the lineage of people with the Force go, they're probably the most powerful. and that. The other is the only one who understands. Han was never going to understand. Luke was never going to understand. Darth Vader was never going to understand. And they know how much they need each other. And I just think it's so amazing that they can just kind of wash everything else away and just share these moments with each other and try to figure out how to move forward. It's also a way to move the story forward in dialogue. Yes. Which this movie suffers from greatly through most of it. In this case, they actually got it right. It was also nice to see unhinged Yoda again. The Yoda that hits Luke over the head with his walking stick and blows up the sacred texts. Rafiki and he, Yoda. And he thinks he's he thinks it's hysterical. Yeah. He's he's like a precursor to Rafiki. Like back in the day Yoda though, but it was nice to see him back although I have to say and even though it is the same voice, he sounds way too much like Miss Piggy. Frank Oz voiced him, but I feel like this is too much Miss Piggy at points and not enough Yoda. And maybe a little Grover peppered in. Yeah, there were times where I thought he sounded like Fozzie Bear. Yeah, that too. Well, back on the Resistance ship, Poe realizes that Haldo is fueling up the uh, transport escape pods, which have no shields, and he believes that she is a traitor. Finn asks Poe to buy them time to get these uh, tracking system knocked down um, while Ray heads to the First Order ship in an escape pod. She has now left the Millennium Falcon, but she is captured. Finn, Rose, and DJ infiltrate the ship as well, but are soon captured by Captain Phasma. And uh, Rose and Finn are also double-crossed by DJ. Meanwhile, Poe, along with a small group of supporters, overthrow Haldo and take control of the Resistance ship. But they are eventually stopped by Leia, who has now regained consciousness, and they start to leave on the transport pods uh, that Haldo has arranged. Ren takes Ray to Snoke, who admits that he was the one that connected the two of them through the Force, and demands that Ray take him 
to Luke Skywalker, or at least give Luke Skywalker up. The First Order begins to fire upon and destroy the transports that the Resistance is escaping on, because DJ filled them in on what the plan was, because he knew from Finn and Rose what the plan was going to be. Kylo Ren kills Snoke. Again, this is there's so much bopping around back and forth here. They're they're cutting back and forth between Finn and Rose, Kylo and Ray, and Poe and Leia. Yeah, and and very quickly, mind you. Yeah, you're you're getting like little two minutes of of each storyline in and get, out. You're not even getting that much, time. if even that. Yeah, Snoke wanted Kylo to prove himself once again and kill Ray. Right, and he believed, because he's saying out loud, out, or out loud, you're going to kill your enemy, because Snoke has Luke Skywalker's lightsaber on the armrest of his chair, and through the Force, Kylo Ren rotates it, turns it on, and kills Snoke. And then he and Rey fight back and kill Snoke's bodyguards. Rey tries to convince him to end the attack on the escape fleet, but he instead tells her, that he wants her to join him and bring a new order to the galaxy. We learn that her parents sold her for drinking money, or at least this is what he's telling her, and they are now dead in a pauper's grave back on Jakku. We said it before, an awful lot going on here in a very small window. So much going on that you kind of lose sight of the fact that they've tried to create such a big story arc with Laura Dern's character and she's almost had maybe 10 minutes of screen time if even that and all you've gotten is that you know she's helped Leia in the past but they have this big goodbye moment because she decides that she has to stay behind and be the hero and sacrifice herself and it's like we've never seen her relationship with Leia we don't know what they've accomplished together and why. I mean, obviously, Leia cares about her people, but it's almost like they were best friends or sisters saying goodbye to each other. And it's so powerful, but it's completely unnecessary because we don't know enough about this character to care about her. And when she volunteers to stay behind, I'm like, okay, bye. Yeah, because Laura Dern, she's a very talented she's great. actress. No, I'm not, I'm not hating on Laura Dern. And she plays the scene so well. Where this would have worked as a powerful scene if we had seen her more in this film or even more to the fact if we had seen her in The Force Awakens. Right, and that's what I'm saying. It's like they're creating this hero's death for what? Like if this was, and again, I don't I don't believe that we're done telling Poe's story here and that he's got a lot bigger of a role to play but if you really wanted to do a gut punch, it could have been Poe. I mean, it could have been, but we're going to put a pin in that. A lot of pins. Uh, well. Here. You know what, though? I mean, without giving too much away, that's kind of the pacing of this movie. Is that you're going to leave a lot of pins and circle back to a lot of things. You're right. The way it is chopped up, you're absolutely right. Chopped up is the perfect phrase because that's in reality that's exactly what it is. Yeah, there's like, no really. There's editing and there's chopping. Well, there's a difference, right? And like I, I get it. This is a 
for all intents and purposes, this is an action-packed film, but I, fe- I kind of feel like they leaned on that a little too much to sort of bail out the movie for its faults. That's the thing. It It's like this classic, it's like middle child syndrome, honestly. In a lot of these trilogies, like Pirates of the Caribbean does it too. And I know we talk about that franchise a lot on this show and we've not reviewed it yet, but it it is that middle bridge film. And that's where it's frustrating sometimes is that the film has to stand on its own. You can't rely on the middle film to bridge the entire franchise together. And I think this does a little bit. You're jamming so much action down our throats for the purpose of exposition for the entire trilogy. Yeah, it's like Quantum of Solace. We talked about James Bond before. Oh, that movie's but, but that's the reaction. That's the reaction to Quantum of Solace. Yeah. That's the... Follow up to Casino Royale. It's the lead in to Skyfall. So that's the that's the same reaction. I hope The Rise of Skywalker is half the movie that Skyfall is. If it is, then Star Wars really goes out on a high note in terms of the Skywalker saga. Well, anyway, uh, Haldo, meanwhile turns the Resistance ship around and aims it at the First Order ship and jumps it to light speed, it's really crippling the, de- the, the destroyer ship. It does destroy it eventually. Finn and Rose fight back against the Stormtroopers and Finn kills Phasma. Rey escapes and Ren tells Hux that she killed Snoke, and not him, of course, because he's going to cover it up, and that they will head to Crate to destroy what is left of the Resistance and end the war. They've taken these escape pods to Crate, which is basically an abandoned planet that is the home of a former rebel base. But there's weapons there, and there's cruisers, etc., so that they can defend themselves. Honestly, this would have been the perfect out for this film. Is Kylo Ren saying that he's going to track them down on crate. They've escaped temporarily. You leave us on a cliffhanger. Done. Roll the credits. You would. But not Ryan Johnson. The First Order arrives with TIE Fighters and ADATs while the Resistance uh, uses old Rebel speeders to fend off the attack. Ray and Chewie arrive in the Falcon to draw off and destroy the TIE Fighters. Finn decides that he's going to sacrifice himself to save the rest. Because they've hidden out in this cave that's got this big... its I'm not going to call it a garage door, but it is sort of like a garage door. That comes down and it closes off the cave. It's like an airplane hangar, but right. it drops vertically instead of horizontally. Right. So he's going to sacrifice himself and crash his speeder into their battering ram cannon. Yes, just like the riding animals, it's a battering ram cannon. It's almost, dun, dun, dun. It's almost as if Ryan Johnson took a cue from the Batman series from the 60s where he Oof. had his anti-everything serum in his belt. 
Harsh. Well, he is stopped when Ray, or I'm sorry, when Rose crashes her speeder into his to stop him from crashing into the battering ram cannon because I can't get enough of saying battering ram cannon. Uh, crashes her speeder into his and then tells him that she loves him before losing consciousness. Uh, Luke arrives and tells Leia that he can't save Ben and heads off to fight him. He also gives her Han's dice that he took from the Falcon. We had mentioned that a little bit earlier. Upon seeing Luke, Ren has all available weapons fired upon Luke, but he is unharmed. Finn, Poe, and the rest follow the Crystal Critters... As they look for a back exit out of the cave, but find a dead end that is filled in with rocks, which are eventually lifted when Ray uses the force to free them. Ren and Luke square off, and Luke tells him the rebellion is reborn, and he won't be the last Jedi. As it turns out, Luke was a vision created by the force. He's really on uh, Octo, where he is exhausted from this projection of himself. He needs some milk. Well, he doesn't get it. He dies and disappears the same way Yoda did if you've seen uh, the earlier trilogies and becomes one with the Force. Later on, the stable hands at Kanto Bite tell the story of the Resistance. One young man goes outside to clean up he reaches for a broom, which he moves with the Force, and then he looks out into the horizon. So we learn that the Force is still alive and well. Which is fine in terms, in terms of an ending, but we need to circle back and really dissect what has happened in like the last 15 to 20 minutes of this movie. Right, because the last, honestly, the last 15 to 20 minutes of this film could be the open of episode nine. There's so many points in this movie. Watching it when we saw it the first time, and we saw it the night of its release, where I thought, okay, the movie's over. Nope. Okay. Okay, now the movie's over. No, it goes on for another 20 minutes. Right, and when you're sitting in the audience the first time you're seeing this movie, like, you don't want it to end, obviously. It's part of the theater experience. But you're also so excited that you're getting another film and that you've got attached to these characters over the last two hours. You don't want it to end. But now, after a couple of viewings, cut out of it. For the love of God, cut out of it. And I think that point comes when Kylo comes to after he and Ray have broken the lightsaber in half and he vows to go and take out the rest of the resistance and seek them out in their hideout. And usually I never support a movie ending on a cliffhanger, especially when it's part of a franchise and it's, you know, I don't believe that middle film should be a bridge just like in Pirates of the Caribbean, and, you know, we bring that up a lot on the show and we haven't reviewed it yet, but it's it's a weak part of the franchise 
because um you should be able to go to a movie and see it beginning, middle, and end without having to know backstory, without having to be acquainted with the characters and just see a film tell a story and not have to know anything else about it. So I never advocate for cliffhangers, but in this case, I think it would have been okay because your next 15 to 20 minutes of this film could be the beginning of episode nine. Or... I mean, I get it. I understand with the fight on Crate and with the battle between Luke and Kylo Ren, I understand you wanted it in this movie, especially with the way that Luke went out. But True. You know what it is? There's. It's not that I disagree with you. It's that there's so much... I'm just going to say it for what it is. And for those, I apologize, pardon my language, there's a lot of crap that goes on during this movie that could have been cut out. Where you could have kept the entire end of this movie and you could have shaved 20 minutes off of it. Or like I said, and I'm saying this now, that you could have put the end and the battle on crate as the opening sequence of episode nine, but I think I have to see episode nine to make that a fair assessment. Uh, they wanted to end this movie with Luke Skywalker's passing. So I, I, I get it. I mean, I don't get me wrong. It's not that I disagree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The first 20 minutes of uh, this film that's opening in two days, if it would have been the final 20 minutes of this movie, it would have made for a fine opening. And it actually would have been similar to the opening of The Empire Strikes Back, in my opinion, um, where you have that great battle to open the film. But I I feel like they had to end with Luke passing away. It, for this movie, at least. Well, I think, I think there's a couple of reasons that I feel differently. Number one, I don't know that he's actually gone. Because the title... Rise of Skywalker, I think that we are supposed to be lured into a false sense of security, number one. Number two, I think it almost would have been more effective if you think, okay, great, Luke is back and he's going to fight Kylo Ren and then you knock him out in the first 20 minutes of a new film. Nobody's expecting that to happen. He's gone. He He's one with the Force. It's the same thing that happened to Yoda. Luke's gone. I don't believe we're going to see Luke come back. But There are certain things that I would have been perfectly fine with being cut from this film. I've gone on about a lot of them up to this point in time. But, you know, I didn't know that Chrome Dome was an intergalactic phrase. And when Finn challenges Phasma and says, let's go, Chrome Dome, it it reminds me of like a fight scene from a film that you would have seen in the 80s. It's like straight out of RoboCop. Exactly right. Just like when the battering ram cannon, very original, um, is breaking down that huge door, um, Finn, or sorry, Poe, I should say, not I should say, that's the character, Poe refers to it as that quote-unquote Big ass door. Does that sound like a phrase you've heard 
in the Star Wars universe, it's almost like Ryan Johnson didn't know what a Star Wars movie sounded like when he wrote this script. I a big ass door. I'm sorry, but uh, but without uh, listen, fine. I'm gonna nitpick. I'm gonna nitpick. Big ass door is not a phrase you hear in the Star Wars universe. I'm it's sorry. It's far too it's modern, not... and it also feels like Guardians of the Galaxy. To circle back to Finn, though. Yeah, I kind of wish they would have done without the Chrome Dome thing, especially because at that point, he declares that he's rebel scum. She calls him a rebel and he's like rebel scum. And to me, that's like such, it's the perfect punctuation on Finn's character. Yes. You're golden. And and you cater to the fanboys. Right. So the Chrome Dome thing, it you know, it's like we were talking about it before when when uh, BB-8 blows off the gun. For as clever as you are, you just cheapened it. Well, that's the thing. I almost feel like this movie is two steps forward, forward and, and one, one back. step back. Exactly right. And that's the review. That that's it. Honestly, I mean, it. I have more to say, but to be like I like the movie. Could end my review right now, shave 10 minutes off the podcast, and in, I mean, listen, we don't like to jump the gun in our reviews, but yeah. No, I, but that's that's what I mean. It's I do have more to say, and there's a couple of things that I do want to hit on, but I think we just kind of got to the root of what this film is. Yeah, it's like when... Luke stands up to Kylo Ren after he's getting fired on. And the AT-AT, there's one. I like like, that they brought them back, though. I like that they brought it back, but it lifts its leg and stomps down and, like, digs in. Like it's ready for a fight. First off, other than unloading all the lasers on Luke, the AT-ATs don't fight him anyway. But it's a machine. It's not a living organism. So I, what operator did that? Like, what person operating an AT-AT said, let me raise its leg and slam it down because I can I can intimidate Luke Skywalker? That's a really good point. And I think this kind of circles back to what I said before about, you know, the whole casino scene is that you wanted the visual, but it doesn't really serve the purpose of the story. I think you wanted to see more of the red Underneath the, I, I, I'm assuming, and I Under haven't looked salt. into this. I think this was shot probably in the Utah Salt Flats, if I had to guess. Um, I think you wanted to see more of the red, which, by the way, is very misleading. As cool as it looks, it looks like there was a mass murder across this battle yeah, you scene. You think it was on a battlefield? Yes. And you're supposed to. I think that's what they were going for. But there's red under the salt. And granted that is a big plot point which we are going to get to. I think it was all about the visuals and not really about the plot. You're you're really losing your story here. Speaking of losing a story, let me ask you your question. Oh, let me ask you a question. I want your opinion. Do you? Yes, I do. The love story between Rose and Finn. Ah. Not necessary. Not necessary. No, especially because the whole thing up to this point has been with him and Ray, and it's like an are they or aren't they kind of thing. Although, well, no, I shouldn't say that because I feel like the are they or aren't they is going to be more Kylo and Ray, and I will spoil my predictions on that because I don't 
believe this is just about how they can grow together and like recreate the force to what they want it to be. I honestly think that this is almost like an Anakin thing where he sees something in her and he's gravitating towards it. And I, th I think he needs her more than just more than just for business, let's say. Um, so I kind of think that's where the are they or aren't they is going. As far as Finn, we did mention it in our last episode that when he first meets her, it's like, oh, do you have a boyfriend on Jakku or whatever? Boyfriend. Cute boyfriend. Yeah. Talk about comedy that was properly placed for a good laugh. Exactly. So I feel like he's got a little bit of a crush on Ray and... Now, wherever that was going, it's gone because Rose has professed her love for Finn. And now I feel like he's just going to go with that because she sacrificed herself for him, which is ridiculous on multiple levels. Number one, the way that they're setting everything up and when Poe calls for the pilots to retreat, I don't even know how she got to where she was. Like, yes. She's like all the way on the right. Geographically, this does not make sense. Because they're all driving in, in, in a line together. Exactly. Exactly. I will say this, though. The line is excellent. When she says, this is not about destroying who we hate. It's about fighting for what we love. And yes, that is professing her love for him. But when you put that in the context of the big picture, it's an actually, it's a really beautiful line. I don't hate the line. No. I'm not in the very least. I think the line itself, as it stands alone, holds a lot of weight in, you know, the canon of Star Wars and what your motivation is behind defeating the First Order. Honestly, I wish they had saved it. And that's what maybe brings Rey and Kylo Ren together. I don't buy this love triangle between her and Kylo and... And Finn, uh, I don't think any of them are going to ever be romantically linked. I mean, I get it, but I just don't see that as being feasible. I don't know. She was pretty flustered when she saw him without a shirt. She wanted him to put something on. No, she didn't. Well, I guess we're going to find out in a few days, but I, I call malarkey on that. Um, because I don't think that Ray is romantically interested in anybody. I think three quarters of the male uh, cast of any Star Wars film has interest in her. I do not believe that that feeling is mutual. And I, I never bought that anything was going to happen between her and Finn anyway. But um, I, I just felt like the way that they, you know, what it is the line is the line is beautiful. But under the circumstances and the way that it's delivered, it comes off as cheesy. It shouldn't, but it does. I feel like the timing of it was just wrong. And I don't understand how they survived that either. I mean, you have two cruisers crashing into, e into each other. Uh, yeah. they, they should have been killed. They both should have been killed instantaneously. No, and instead you have this like James Cameron-esque Titanic moment. Never let go, Rose. Oh, and it's oh, Rose. That's the other thing. The amount of times he calls out to Rose, I think that's where subconsciously I am thinking about Titanic right now. The one success of this scene is 
other than Luke's ending, we'll talk about that in a minute. I think I know where you're going. I this. do like when Luke brushes his shoulder off. When the Adats cannot destroy him. That it's sort of uncharacteristic of Luke Skywalker, because Luke has always been very humble. But I sort of like that he took that turn with Kylo Ren. Oh, that is so not where I thought you were going with this. You want to talk about cheese and humor that this movie is going for that it doesn't actually need. Crystal Critters? Is it Crystal Critters? Those belong in Frozen. Let's Frozen 3, yes, please draw from those. They were pretty cute. I like them, not here. How much cute do you need in a Star Wars movie? I No, honestly, I want that to be like Olaf's pet in Frozen 3. Crystal Critters, on its own, sounds like a background character from a Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> that became a McDonald's toy and had a failed spinoff. What a lame... But you know what? It's a lame name, but I feel like a lot of the characters and a lot of the creatures had horrible names in this movie because Ryan Johnson's just not that creative because I don't know that he's actually seen a Star Wars movie. Honestly, I think this is like, and, and you don't need to do it anymore because you have your marketing towards the girls. You have Ray now. In the past, you know, I mean, you have the Porgs. You already have your cutesy thing for this movie. You, you know, in the past, you had the Ewoks. I don't know what they were trying to do with Jar Jar Binks and who they were trying to market him to. All of the wrong <laughs> people. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I don't think... I feel like you could have done it with anything, especially because C-3PO has the line where, you know, we look through every tunnel, there's a million ways out of here, and they even make the joke about that is it's like 15,000 to one about getting out of here. You, you could have pulled it off. R2 could have figured it out. BB-8 could have figured it out. You would have gotten them out eventually. Um, so you didn't need the crystal critters. You really didn't. Um but I'm really surprised to hear you say that, that you, you know, you thought it was in character for Luke to brush the dirt off his shoulders. To me, that's... That no, I said it was out of character, but I liked it. Regardless. I feel like that's, you're 2000 and late. You know, we, we don't... I'm ser seriously that that was like 10 years ago when we brushed the dirt off her shoulder it was a song it's done it certainly doesn't belong in the Star Wars universe I I get where we were going with that is that like you can't get me but the humor is already done in that scene the humor comes from when Hux is like are you sure you got him after Kylo has aimed yeah, yeah, yeah. every single gun at him that was funny. Luke got up and walked away. We don't need any more. You don't need, you know, you don't need to give him the look. You don't need to brush the dirt off. To me, the strength of that scene is prior to that when the pilots think all hope is lost and their numbers are dropping and Ray comes in with the Falcon. It's... Because you almost... It's powerful. You forget about her because... Up until that point, they broke the lightsaber in half. You see Kylo Ren get up and declare that he's, go you know, as we said before, this is where you cut out of the movie. Right, but she's already escaped on Snoke's uh, escape pod. Exactly. And, and there was a throwaway line about that, by the way. You kind of forget 
where Ray is. And then the Falcon shows up and saves the day. Yeah. Um, which was fine. Um, I get what you're saying. You know, th- there's just so much about this that is very convoluted. Um, I will say that I did like Luke's ending. I like that he goes out the hero, which he sort of does, um, because really what he does is he doesn't do anything other than create a distraction so that they can escape. And I like the fact that Back on Octo, he disappears um, and vanishes and becomes one with the Force, um, which is the same way that we saw Master Yoda go out when he passed away in the first trilogy. Um, And I like the fact that Kylo Ren didn't turn because he still totally conflicted. He's in limbo. He's totally the, in limbo I mean, right that's now. The thing. Like, they're going to have to figure this out by the end of The Rise of Skywalker, whether they kill him or not, because that's up for debate. Um, and we'll give our predictions soon here. But I like that he didn't turn because with Snoke being gone without knowing that Palpatine was coming back. Mm. I don't think that Kylo Ren could have turned without the movie seeming like it was a completed story when you still had a third movie in the trilogy. And I don't know that I'm ready to see him turn yet. If he turns at all. Again, we'll give our predictions soon. But I'm glad that he's he's still sort of worming his way through what he really is. Right. Because it's almost like what makes the second trilogy garbage is that you already know Anakin has fallen for Queen Amidala. And like, I didn't need to see that whole romance play out. I didn't need to see what leads to Luke and Leia being conceived you know so yeah I don't want to spend a whole movie if that's if that's where all of this goes I don't need to see him and Ray build the new order so whatever here, that is here's the thing like when it comes to one two three that second trilogy what kills that for me is lousy screenwriting and bad CGI you're right we know that Anakin will fall for Amidala and that they are going to conceive Luke and Leia. And that she's going to die. And that she's... But I needed to see what turned him into what became Darth Vader. It's two horrendous movies, one and two. The third movie is actually pretty good. Um, And I'm glad we got to see how he turned... And I'm glad we got to see why he turned. But I agree with you. In this instance between Ray and Ren, I just... I, I think you're right in the corniness and the cheesiness and, and some of the problems that the original trilogy had. And, and like I said, a lot of it is CGI and bad dialogue. But yes, some of it does come with the plot. I think it would have just been a rehash of that, though, here. Right. And the difference is, 
with that second trilogy, you know what's going to happen. You know Anakin is going to turn. You know Show he me how is it's becoming happen. Darth Vader. Exactly. So that's where it feels like it drags because you know what the end point is. You don't necessarily need to see how it got there, but we did. So in yeah. this case, I don't want to see that play out. So if you turned him already and then this entire thing, that's how you're going to end Star Wars. That's going to be your episode nine is the love story. Well, they're never going to end Star Wars. But to no, end no, no, no. Skywalker but saying, saga, I get what you mean. If that's what episode nine is, let's say they do fall in love or they do just build that maybe take the romance out of it and they do just build this empire. I don't, I don't know that I need to see that come together. As much as I love order and organization, I don't need to see them, like, write a declaration of independence for what the new order is. With all of that being said, I think we are ready for my prediction. All right, can we, can we give our final synopsis on the movie first? Slow your roll. We haven't, we haven't actually given our final say on the movie. All right. My synopsis kind of plays into my prediction, but go ahead. Okay, I'm going to go first. Go ahead. I think all in all, this movie is just okay. I think the story is all there, but some of the dialogue really is awful. Um, and I do like where this is going, but it, it's by far it's not the worst of the Star Wars films, but it's certainly towards the bottom of the list for me. The other thing is, it's called The Last Jedi, but Ray's not the last Jedi. And he goes, and Luke goes on to say that at the end of the movie. So if it's not about The Last Jedi, why is the movie called The Last Jedi? I feel like the title of The Last Jedi was a marketing ploy to garner interest, which is the purest form of stupidity because <laughs> it's, it's a Star Wars movie. There's going to be interest. You don't need to bait us with a title. That's true. That is insulting your audience. Well, yes. It's insulting core Star Wars fans who are going to see the movie regardless. But imagine if, you know, you have a movie that is called The Last Jedi that is not about The Last Jedi. Oh, wait a minute. That movie exists. We just talked about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just so much about that. Like, the movie just seems confused. To your point... That is honestly like Zach Braff levels of insulting your audience, as in doing a Kickstarter to people who are going to go pay to see your movie anyway. But I feel like that's where I completely disagree. Um, I actually really love this movie. I would even go so far as to say this might be my favorite film of the franchise. Um, I really like what's happening between Ray and Kylo Ren. I think that, first of all, the, the acting is amazing between them. The tension that exists and yet the way that they need each other, whether it's 
romantic or otherwise, you feel something building between them. And this is where I disagree with you. I think the title is appropriate because I wasn't sure until really actually sitting down to to do this episode if Luke was definitely out or not. I thought we were supposed to have our attention on Luke and think that he was gone, but then Rise of Skywalker was going to be about him coming back. But my theory on that has changed, and my theory has always been, I think The Last Jedi does mean the Jedi die with Luke. I think that is done. So that's where you get your last Jedi from. And he's disappeared and or he's passed on or, or whatever you want to say. He's one with the Force. Yes. And I think that our attention has also been on Rey because we don't know where she comes from. We don't necessarily know what her lineage is. And I think that we've been focused on her kind of being the next Jedi. I think Rise of Skywalker is meant to mean the rise of Ben Solo because technically he does have Skywalker blood running through him. And I think that the third film in this trilogy is going to be about Rey turning him, him embracing being a Skywalker. I think that also is going to play into what they do with Leia now that we've lost Carrie Fisher and I think that in that sense, the Jedi are done. And maybe she realizes that it can't be the resistance versus the First Order or the rebellion versus the Empire. Maybe she realizes that she does need to work with him to get everyone on the same page and end this war. And maybe that's how you close it out. I disagree. Because they're going to continue Star Wars. The Skywalker saga is done. And I don't think we're going to see a Star Wars movie for quite a few years. I hope not. I I hope they pump the brakes. I mean, Disney Plus, fine. If we're going to do a couple of backstories, if we're going to do a couple more Mandalorian-esque things, great. I think we need to, to pump the brakes a little bit. But I don't think that you can just have a new order without a villain. Because then nobody's going to watch another trilogy of Star Wars films without conflict. I think The Rise of Skywalker is really a metaphor for The Rise of the Jedi. Because originally, Return of the Jedi, which is the third film... It really, it's it's the third Star Wars film in the original trilogy. Was originally titled Revenge of the Jedi. And there were movie posters that said Revenge of the Jedi. Of course, it ended up being called Return of the Jedi. But I feel like, and, and in the theory of us kind of staying, I hate to say it, formulaic, with some of the characters and some of the plots... Because you can draw parallels between the first trilogy and this trilogy, certainly. The second trilogy with Anakin is so very vastly different from this. Um, because you're watching the... Really, it's the build of the Empire. Right. Um, I feel like 
to, to lack a better term, if you're going to be formulaic about it, this is really their opportunity to show the revenge of the Jedi. Um, I, I think you're going to see a new Jedi Order born in memory of Luke Skywalker. I think that where Luke thought the Jedi was over, and he, and he goes so far as to say at the end of this movie, the Jedi's not over and I won't be the last Jedi. That's the rise of Skywalker. It's the rise of the next generation of Jedi in his name. Um, if Kylo Ren flips, and I don't know that he does, but if he does, I can see it being at the very end of the film and he will sacrifice himself to destroy Palpatine if he's going to turn it all. Because if he doesn't and he remains evil, which would be fine, does he destroy Palpatine and then become the Emperor? He could to set up the next trilogy. But now you're just hitting the reset button and you're or reset button and you're restocking the cupboard with you know a totally new cast of characters and villains. I feel like there's a lot to be reinvented there. And and, and to introduce us to in the next trilogy. I know we're years down the line, but Disney is going to have to be very strategic when it comes to how they're going to lay out the future of Star Wars. I think that if he just turns and becomes a good guy, I don't think anybody's going to care. I'm also not sure that we're going to see... Well, I'm not going to say that Ray dies. It's my understanding that Daisy Ridley signed on for three movies and she's done. Mm. It may be, and for uh, again, for a lack of a better term, a quote-unquote ambiguous or ambiguous death where, oh, look, she's gone, but they find a way to write her back in. Like, no, I didn't actually die, and here's how I lived. If they wanted to bring her back in future movies years down the line. Right, because she's still a pretty young actress, and I get where she doesn't want her entire career hanging on this. But, yeah, I think for the right amount of time and distance and the right price, you probably could get her eventually. Right. But to your point, I mean, this is the difference between me and a fanboy. And I'm not calling you a fanboy because that's, I a, understand. that's a dirty stigma, at least in the way I mean it. But you've done more research, admittedly, than I have. So I, I never knew about this Revenge of the Jedi thing. I'm not going on what the theory is, what was supposed to be. I'm going on what is here. And to me, that's what Rise of Skywalker means. To me, that would be the most impressive thing that in nine films, instead of somebody turning to the dark side, you get them back from. It would be an interesting twist, but I don't know. See, here's the thing. This is my way of thinking. How do you set up the next trilogy if you do that? Could Kylo Ren be, uh, you know, could he turn and then you introduce another villain? I suppose so. But how? You know what I'm saying? Like, where's where's the groundwork for any of this to happen? But do we have to have another trilogy? Yes. They didn't spend as much money as they did 
on Lucasfilm to not keep this going. And that's the beautiful thing about Star Wars. If you leave yourself enough paths, because there's such a vast universe of characters, you could keep reinventing the wheel. But I think that's what they're going to do on Disney+. Plus. I, I mean, I'm not saying I don't think we're ever going to get another Star Wars movie. Yeah, I think it's too lucrative and I think there's too many people that want them. And sure, maybe on down the line. Okay, fine. But I think, and if they are smart, they will do this. Leave us hanging. Let us miss it for a while. You want to do a couple of like prequels and backstories on Disney Plus? Fine. I'm not saying destroy the universe altogether. I'm just saying, slow your roll, pump your brakes, wait another 10 years and actually develop a good story. And then maybe it doesn't have to be Kylo Ren. Maybe it doesn't have to be Ray. Maybe you leave us enough breadcrumbs in Disney Plus to pick it up later on. We're interested in knowing what your predictions are for the rise of Skywalker. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. News this week, Disney opened a new resort. That has been something that has been exciting for a while because if you're a DVC member or if you're looking to join DVC, um, you have a new home, the Riviera Resort. And that's been under construction for quite some time. And from what I understand, has opened to fairly good reviews. From the concept art that I've seen in the pictures... It looks absolutely stunning. Uh, I can't wait to go. I'm excited to go check out the bars and restaurants um, because we're not DVC. And I cannot help you if you're DVC because that's its own separate thing. But I can help you if you want to book a Disney trip. Uh, You can get in touch with me either directly through our social media or you can shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com and I can help you plan your trip to either Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise, whatever you want. 2020 itineraries are out, so get in touch with me. And don't forget, while we're on the topic of Star Wars, we have that great prize pack that we brought back from our trip to Disney World. And if you actually feel the need to ask the question, I will answer it right now. Yes, I did book through my favorite vacation planner at MVP. That would be uh, Zalezi at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Um, we do have a Star Wars prize pack. We brought back uh, some park maps as well as a pin from Galaxy's Edge. which A is, limited release pin. It is, um, which is sort of the centerpiece of the prize pack as well as a couple of coasters from Oga's Cantina. You can enter to win by leaving us a review on our Facebook page or on your podcast platform of choice. You have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, December 21st to enter that contest, and we will announce the winner that week. So make sure that you do it. Share the podcast. Make sure that you mash that like button because we want to spread the word. We want to spread the podcast around. If you have uh, family or friends that are fans of Disney or fans of Star Wars, please 
let them know that we exist because we're looking to grow this in 2020. We're looking to bring you some new and fresh content and things that we think you guys are going to enjoy very much. Speaking of fresh content, uh, we mentioned it at the top of the episode. We are going to see Star Wars on Thursday, so look out for a monoreal in a minute. We are not going to spoil anything, we promise, but we will give you our first impressions in 60 seconds. That's right. And again, on social media, at Monoreal Radio. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.